When it comes to subjects such as the end times, it would be hard to not have questions. In today's episode, Pastor Dave Roberts addresses some of these questions with insight and scripture. Welcome to episode five of The End Times. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. My name is Dave Roberts, and I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. In today's episode, I'm going to look at some random questions when it comes to the end times and biblical prophecy. When you study these things, you can end up with a lot of questions, many of which may not have definitive answers as we're going to see today, but there are scriptures that can help us with each of these questions. And as I've said in other episodes, this podcast is a forum for me to share my thoughts and insights into how I see things lining up. You, you may disagree or you may agree, but hopefully you will search the Word of God for your own answers. I've done my best to search Scripture so I can give an informed opinion as to these subjects. These questions are a hodgepodge of things with no particular order, so let's dive in. Number one, is the rapture imminent? Could it happen at any time? Well, the short answer is yes. I do believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, so I do not think the tribulation has to begin in order for the rapture to happen. In fact, I think it will happen first. And I believe it is the next thing on the prophetic calendar of events. But think of it this way. Has it been imminent since Christ left, or has something changed to make it more imminent now? Haven't people believed that Jesus could return as far back as even biblical days? Well, the answer is yes. But I would contend that uh, things are different now. For instance, let's say you were living in the 1930s and Nazi Germany was gaining strength and then comes the war and the whole world is in turmoil and chaos. Don't you think you would have thought you were living in the last days? Don't you think you would have been expecting the rapture? So what makes today different or a more likely season for the rapture? Well, looking back from today's vantage point on history, we can see clearly why the rapture didn't take place back then. We know that Israel has to be back in its homeland, which didn't occur until 1948. If you were living in the 1930s, you would probably think that um, those scriptures meant something else. They would have to because Israel was not back in their homeland. In Scripture, Israel is often referred to as the fig tree, and Jesus said when the fig tree sprouts its leaves, we can know that we are in the generation of the end. And many interpret that to mean that the generational time clock began in 1948 when Israel was established in its homeland. Let's see, that makes this year uh, 76 years later, about the time of a generation. Also in the 1940s, much of the end-time prophecies would have had to be supernaturally fulfilled as there was no mechanism in place to accomplish such things. There would have been no way to control the entire world's population with the mark of the beast. Technology today can easily accomplish this. In Revelation 11, there are two prophets sent to the world to preach Christ during the tribulation. They have supernatural powers like Moses turning water to blood and inflicting plagues upon Egypt for their disobedience to God. These end-time prophets are fought against and eventually killed, and their bodies 
lay in the street. Look what it says in Revelation 11, 9, and 10. Those from the peoples and tribes and tongues and nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate, and they will send gifts to one another. Sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? But these two, these two prophets are laying in the street. And so, yeah, let's give gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. It's a great time of celebration for the earth. Imagine being back in the 1940s. How would the whole world be able to look at their dead bodies laying in the street for three and a half days? Well, today we see no problem with that. We carry in our hands devices connected to a whole world of information. This will no doubt be carried on YouTube and Facebook and all media platforms. Can you imagine the whole world giving each other gifts because these two prophets are dead in the street? I just got to throw this in. Look what happens next. Verse 11 of Revelation 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear, I bet, fell upon those who were watching them. They were watching on their phones, right? And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Can you imagine watching your phone and you hear this? And they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. All that to say... The rapture is more imminent than ever today because it is easy to see how things are all in place to fulfill what Scripture says will happen in these last days. One last thing on imminence. In Daniel 12.4, it says this, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. So he's giving us some clues as to what the end times will be like. He says, at the end of time, there's going to be an increase in travel and knowledge. It is interesting to me that God does give us these kinds of signals. And he uses these two things. First, think about travel. Did you know that in 2023, 3.8 billion people rode on airplanes? Now, obviously, most people rode multiple times, so that's not 3.8 billion different people. But still, that is off-the-charts travel. Our ability to travel in multiple ways confirms Daniel's prophecy that we are in the last days. Well, think of knowledge. I remember back when I was in high school. Now, don't date me here, but uh, it's a few years ago. Our school had the ability to log in to the big, huge computer down at the university in order to teach computer science in our school. And here we are, just a few decades later, well, maybe four or five decades later, (laughs) and the phone in my pocket has more power than that computer that filled a large room at the university back then. Talk about the increase of knowledge. Can you imagine when you were growing up, being in a conversation where something comes up that nobody knows the answer to, and Well, you could just reach into your pocket, get your phone, and Google any information you want. We would never have believed it. Once again, the rapture is imminent because everything is in place for the tribulation. Here's another question. Will all children be raptured? 
Now, I have to be honest with you. This is something that I had not given a whole lot of attention to over my ministry, but it's an important question, and people are asking it. Although Scripture doesn't specifically tell us this, there are enough passages that can help us come to a conclusion that, yes, all children will be taken at the rapture. Let me give you a few examples. First, we have the scene of Jesus, the disciples, and children. And Jesus says to his disciples who were keeping the children away from him, Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We also have the scene in 2 Samuel 12 where David is mourning over his newborn son. And once the child dies, David stops fasting and and, and weeping. His servants ask him why he has stopped. And he replies, well, that one day he shall go to him. This indicates that David believed one day he would see his son again in heaven. When we think of the rapture, it is hard for us to imagine the disruption it will cause in the world. I, I believe the explanation will be one that confirms the presence of aliens. See, I told you there were aliens, and oh, look, all these people have been abducted. But layer on top of that, such upheaval, the disappearance of all children. Oh, unimaginable. Millions of grieving parents all over the world. It is easy to see how the world will be in such chaos and open to a strong leader, a rescuer, which we know is the Antichrist. Three, are Christians judged for their behavior here on earth? Now, this, this question comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, which say this, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is perhaps one of the most misinterpreted passages in Scripture. The term judgment seat of Christ implies a day of reckoning where our eternal fate is decided, and, well, it's not what it means. In fact, the word translated is bima and has nothing to do with judgment. There's not a good word in English for it, so it is often translated as judgment, but here's what it means. The the word in its simplest form simply means a platform, like a stage. But the readers of the first century would have immediately recognized it as the place of honor and award. The best way for us to think about it would be the award platform of the Olympic winners. This is where the garland is put on their head and the medal around their neck in recognition of their accomplishments. It's a place of reward. This is addressed in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 and and following. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Building on the foundation of Christ well, it results in rewards. Building on anything other than Christ is building on a temporary foundation that will not survive the scrutiny of heaven. 
It will be burned and rendered useless and not worthy of reward. But Paul makes it clear the believer in Christ who lived for self, yes, that's not the right way, he'll still enter heaven, but will forfeit the rewards that could have been his. Makes me think of John 15, where Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, that you would bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We are branches that receive life from Jesus day by day, moment by moment. He is our foundation, and when we simply let him, he flows his love, his power, his ministry through our little branch, and fruit sprouts in our life. It's not our doing, it's, it's his. In Revelation 4, it says the 24 elders fall down before Jesus, laying their crowns before him. I love that picture because why should we get the crowns? It was his work. He is the vine that supplies everything to produce fruit, but yet he wants us to have the rewards well, that are rightfully his. I think this whole Bema Seat award ceremony will take place in heaven during the seven-year tribulation here on earth. As the world is being ravaged by the wrath of God, believers will be in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, receiving rewards. Next question. If you take the mark of the beast during the tribulation, do you become unredeemable? Well, this question comes from Revelation 14, verses 9 through 11. Then another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Well, makes it pretty clear here, I think. Everyone who takes the mark of the beast will drink the wrath of God. Taking this mark is a person's way of saying that Satan is their deliverer. It is their allegiance to him forever. I've given much thought to how this may transpire in the tribulation because how will they convince the world to do this? And as I'm thinking about that, I, I, I see this news story a couple of weeks ago. I, I heard about an implant being developed that can communicate with our thoughts in order to produce a higher level of intelligence and intuition. It alters a person's DNA and makes them somewhat, well, not somewhat, but makes them transhuman or a mix of human and machine or artificial intelligence. Can you imagine this being the mark of the beast controlling commerce, but that won't be its selling point? It could be that people will be convinced of their need for this higher intelligence in order to keep up with the world. And it may even be sold as the achievable path to a future human utopia. I know this all sounds so weird. It sounds weird as I say it. But these are the things aligning in our world right now. I want to finish with perhaps the most difficult of these questions. Will we remember our lost loved ones when we are in heaven? 
I don't think we can give a definitive answer on that, but there are some scriptures that shed some light on this. First thing I would say is that we will know each other in heaven. Jesus told his disciples when he was leaving that he would drink the cup with them again in his Father's kingdom. So not only will they know him, they will know each other. In 1 Thessalonians 4.17, Paul says, We who are alive will be caught up together with those who have fallen asleep. There will be a reunion with those who have died. And when it comes to those who have chosen to reject Christ, I've heard some people say that we're just not going to remember them, while others say, well, yes, we will remember them. If a person's life is going to be evaluated for rewards, there will obviously be memory of life on earth. But a key verse in remembering those not in heaven is this. It's Revelation 21.4. And he, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There will be no pain or crying or mourning. But if we can remember our dad or our brother or our child and, and we know they're not in heaven, won't there be pain and crying and mourning? Well, there's, there's just no real easy answer for this, but let me offer this. Currently, we only have our human context of relationships, families, marriages. In heaven, our relational context will be completely different. The centrality of Jesus and the fact that his life is what unites us completely will give us a a whole new understanding of love, relationships, and our heavenly existence. It will be incredibly amazing, but we have no adequate way now to understand it or how it will make our pain for our earthly loved ones go away. But this I know for sure. It will not be there. That is pain because God has promised us no tears, no pain, no mourning. Needless to say, these are only a few questions when it comes to the end times, the rapture, tribulation, the millennial kingdom, heaven, etc., etc. But these are things we should consider as all things are moving quickly toward these events. Do you know Jesus and his saving power in your life today? Good works won't get you to heaven. I hear people say all the time, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm good. I think I can make it. You can't earn your way in. Only by repenting of your sin, which simply means to admit that it's there and turn from it to Jesus. You seek his forgiveness by believing he is the only one who can save you from the consequence of your sin. And when you believe, you are forgiven. You are accepted into his life and ready for the rapture to come. Don't delay. I used to think we were in the last days. Now I think we are in the last days of the last days. (laughs) Be ready. Thanks for listening. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.